Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your heart blameless and holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus for all his saints. May these give us confidence in gospel hope. Well, good morning, church. You fired up for God's word? Say amen. All right, I hope you're reaching for it. Grab your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Even as you're turning there, allow for me to pray again. Father, we thank you for the morning. It's your grace. It's your grace that's brought us here. It's your grace that we need even now uh, to instruct us. Oh, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, would you do just that in these moments that follow. Lord, transform our hearts, enlighten our minds. Let us leave here loved and sent uh, to the glory of your name, we pray. And so it's in your Son's holy and precious name who you've commanded us to pray that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. And all the Mission Church said? Amen. All right, here we are, First and Second Thessalonians, our series in these two amazing letters. And the series is called Confidence. Say confidence. Confidence in gospel hope. So having had uh, one message about confidence already now um, under our belt, uh, how, how have you done this past week? How confident uh, have you been this past week? How, how has your confidence been? Why? Why was it up? Why was it down? Why was it meh? Anybody have meh confidence this week? Anybody have, oh man, that's going to hurt confidence this week, anyone? Any, any chance that your confidence was affected by some words that were spoken to you? Words. For better or for worse, words are incredibly powerful. For better or for worse, words are incredibly powerful. You know, I would love to meet the person who came up with the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but come on, finish it, but what? But words, but words, but words will never... Like, come on, like, who wrote that? I like to take a little stick and... Never mind. I don't, I don't, it's, just, it's just not been my experience. Has it been yours? Think about it. Some of the most significant pain that I've ever experienced has come from sharp words bluntly delivered. Come on. Some of the worst pain that's lasted till today have been sharp words bluntly delivered. Words, they're powerful. Words, they have meaning. Words, they last. One thing's for sure. Whoever came up with this phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, did not read their Bible. James chapter 3, what do we know about words? They're potent. They last, some of them, for a split second. But James says this, James 3, 5, so the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest has been set ablaze by a small fire. Wars have been started by words. Relationships have been ended by words. Words are potent. Words are powerful. 
some of us don't realize the artillery that we are carrying, both for good and for ill. Come on, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life. Death and life, you carry death and life between your lips. Death and life, the scriptures say, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And for those who love the words that they speak, they will eat of its fruit. You want to speak words of life, you will experience life. You want to deliver words of death, just know this, it's coming back. Powerful are the words that we speak. Our words, they're potent. Our words, they are powerful. Our words, they carry pain and peace. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, there are those whose words are rash, like sword thrusts. You know them? There are those whose words are rash like sword thrusts. Some of you need to put it back in the sheath, as do I from time to time. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. What's the point? Words. They have the power to build up Words, they have the power to diminish. Words, they have the power to tear down one's confidence. Uh, These words that you'll hear today, they will either build you up or tear you down. The words that you will speak on your drive home today will have the power to give life or to breathe death into the person with whom you are speaking with. And there is no one, there is not one person in this room who is exempt from the power of words. You can act all macho. And indeed, there are some people's words who are weighted more heavily than others, but words matter. None of us are exempt in all of us. All of us carry bruises and blessings from things people have said. We look to those whom we love and respect to confirm who we are. We look to those whom we love and respect to confirm or to help us see who it is that we perceive ourselves to be. When I was a boy, I listened to the words of my mom to find security. As a young man, I looked to my dad to hear words of significance. Some of us didn't receive either of those. Some of you may have been accused of receiving too much words. Students, the words of your teachers have the power to empower you or to demotivate you. There's something about the words of those who are over us. There's something about the words of those who influence, influence us. We hang on those words. We wait for those words. Sometimes we waited for words that just had never came. Words of parents, words of teachers, words of mentors. When I entered into ministry, it was the words of the mentors who were over me that really inspired me and guided me in the ways that I would go. And now, for sure, there are nobody's words who hit me more squarely, who encourage me more than those of my wife and those of my sons. What kind of words have you received this week? 
life? What kind of words have you delivered this week? We need each other's words. We need each other's encouragement. From time to time, we need each other's reproof. We need sincerity. We need honesty. We need integrity. We need love to come through words. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful even are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are kisses of an enemy. And so today, as we come to this text, I think you've got the point. Paul's got some words. Paul has some words for this young church. Paul has some words for this church whom he's poured himself into. This church where he's left some blood, sweat, and some tears behind. This church where they watched him run out of town as the mob chased him through. What's the tone going to be? Do you know the tone of a gentle mother? Do you know the tone of a faithful father? How about the tone of a doting sibling? Come on, Paul is all of these. You're like, no, I don't know that one. It's okay. Paul is all of these. All of these and, and, and a proud pastor. And he's coming in with some words that are about to breathe incredible life and confidence into this church when they desperately need it. Come on, could you use some words of encouragement today? He's going to write and confirm, 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 confirm. Say confirm. Confirm the faithfulness that he sees in this church. Church, I see faithfulness in you. I see steadfastness in you. I see endurance in you. I see you in the verses that we're about to preach. And I want today for these verses to breathe life into your frame so that you can be confirmed in the gospel hope that you are demonstrating even by being here today. So come on, friends. If you could use some words of spiritual confirmation today, if you could use some words of encouragement, just say this. Say, show me the love. Come on, could you use it? Say, show me the love. Show me the love. love. Here it comes. Here's the love. Paul's love for the church of Thessalonica, I believe, is God's love upon us. Let us read 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. Love flow. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and our Father the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, dear brothers, we know, dear brothers, who are loved by God, that, it, that our God has chosen you. I know that he's chosen you because our gospel, because our gospel, his gospel, our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power. And you, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we saw full conviction fall over you. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction, with much joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so much so that you became an example to all of the believers in all of Macedonia and all of Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere as far as it could go. So that we don't even need to say anything about you anymore. They themselves are reporting back to us concerning the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned. How you turned. How you did a 180 back to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And they're telling us, church, how you're waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. This Jesus. This Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here we go, friends. Three, three words of affirmation, three words of confirmation that I believe we would all want to be said about us as it pertains to our faithfulness before the Lord. Here's the first one. We can have confidence in God's confirmation and the gospel confirmation in our lives when we demonstrate a sincere heart. When someone is able to look at you and say, I can see a sincere heart in you. Look at verse 2 again. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Is there anything more encouraging than somebody coming and saying, I'm just thankful for you? I just thank God for you. When's the last time someone came to you and said, I just, I thank God for you? Christian, you need to hear today that we thank God for you. We just thank God you're here. You're not where you were. You're not trapped in your death and your trespasses and sin any longer. I just thank God for you. The fellowship that we shared together is sweet. I thank God for you. The songs that we've just sung together, I thank God for you. When is the last time you heard, I just thank God for you. When's the last time, though, this? How sweet that is. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, I thank God for you? I thank God for you so much that I pray for you. I pray for you constantly. I thank God for you and I pray. And when I pray, I thank God for you. I thank God for you and I pray. And when I pray, I thank God for you. There's nothing worse than saying you're going to pray for somebody and then not. Or somebody telling you they're going to pray for you and they don't. I've been praying for you. Really? Really? What'd you say? I said thank you to God for you. These aren't hollow prayers. Like this is full of substance. This is full. This is Paul pouring out his heart over this church, pouring out his heart to God. Why? Because he sees their heart poured out all over him. There's a reciprocation of relationship here that drives Paul to his knees on behalf of the other. When's the last time you've dropped to your knees on behalf of somebody you love? What does Paul see coming out of the hearts of the Thessalonian church that drives him to constantly pray all the time for them? It's sincerity. Sincerity is what brings security to our relationships. Hear it again. 
Sincerity is what brings security to our relationships. You want security in your relationship? Bring sincerity to the table. When you tell someone you're thankful for them, mean it. When you tell someone you're going to pray for them, do it. There's nothing more offensive than an insincere Christian. Come on, friends, we play the game. We say the part. We do and say the things we want people to see us do and hear us say. God knows when we say things and don't mean them, when we do things and don't believe them, when we, worse, push things on others and then don't do them ourselves. Sincerity leads to security just as insincerity leads to a deep insecurity. And so Paul says here, I see your heart, I see your heart, I see your heart. What does he see coming out of their heart? Sincerity. Paul says, I see your heart, but now this, we don't, we don't, um, we can't see into each other's hearts, right? This is a water bottle illustration that's planned. Just for the record. Myerstown, Pastor Nate, love you. Uh, This is a water bottle illustration that is planned. Paul David Tripp has a great illustration, right? He basically, he has a water bottle in his hand and and he, he does away from electronics, away from cameras, right? He, he bumps his hand and I'm bad at this or I'm really good at it. Water comes out of the bottle. Anybody know why? Anyone know why? Anyone know why? Tell me why water came out of the bottle. You're in the splash zone. You like that, don't you? <laughs> Why'd water come out of the bottle? Just tell me. Tell me. Because there's water in the bottle. Whatever's in your heart is what's coming out. I can't see your heart, but I can see the mess you're making everywhere you go. God can judge your heart, but I'm telling you this, you got fruit flying all over the place. Splattering off walls, wrecking people in the eye. But the Thessalonians, on the other hand, man, their fruit is sweet. Their fruit is precious. Their fruit is giving life. It's bringing life to the Apostle Paul. It's bringing life to the entire region. And so Paul says, man, I see your heart. Better, I see the fruit. And so what's coming out of their heart? What's in their heart? Look, when pressure came on you and bumped your heart, bumped your bottle, what came out? More faith. When you started feeling oppressed and your freedom started getting pushed down on and someone's bumping up on the bottle of your life, what came out? Love. I know it was a labor, but I saw a labor of love come out of you. I saw you work. I saw the work of faith come out of you. Oh, I know. I know the tragedy struck. I know you didn't want me to leave town. I know that I had to leave really abruptly. I know that you wanted me to stay longer. I know that I left you in a mess. I know, I know, I know. But look, look, look. When that came up against you, you know what I saw? You know what I heard as a report? You held your bottle firm. And I saw steadfastness and hope. 
Nothing comes out of your heart that's not already there. Stop blaming the person who splashed your bottle. I'll just say that one more time. Nothing comes out of your heart that wasn't already there. Stop blaming the person for kicking your bottle. Anger comes out because anger's in there. Love comes out because love is in there. Forgiveness comes out because forgiveness has been received. That's how this works. And so this work of faith, this labor of love, and here's the point that I want to make especially here, is that when we see this coming out of a person's heart, we need, we need to be quick to point it out, to give words of encouragement. That's what Paul's doing. He's like, I see this in you, and I want you to know that I see it. I've heard you say this, and I want to tell you what an impact it made in my life and the person who heard it. You didn't see how that person responded when you walked away, but I'm telling you, you breathe life into their frame. You can speak words of life, and you can speak words that tear down. And here what we see the Apostle Paul doing is every chance that he gets here, he is going to breathe words of life, and so should we. We should say thank you. We should say well done. We should say we saw that. Hey, we noticed, and I'm not sure if I've told you before, but I'm, I just want to thank God for you. There's half a dozen guys and gals outside in our parking lot parking cars in the freezing cold. Man, I thank God. There are those teaching and discipling our children right now so that we can sit and have our full attention on the word of God and oh, how I thank God for you. And there are those of you who are sitting behind a camera and you, you can't give your full attention right now so you'll watch the service again. Some of you tell me you do that again and I just want to thank God for you. You're giving faithfully and we want to thank God for you. You're traveling the world and giving of yourself. We want to thank God for you. You're standing up for what's right. I want to thank God for you. But we've grown up in some conservative circles, some of us, haven't we? And compliments were pretty few. But the training on how to withhold them was really good. Because you wouldn't want to puff somebody's head up. You wouldn't want to make them prideful. You wouldn't, want to, you wouldn't want to mess up their walk with the Lord by saying encouraging things to them for everybody else to hear. What a mess you'd make. Friends, God takes care of the heart. God takes care of the heart. We're responsible to do what God calls us to do, and that is to build one another up, to encourage one another with these things, to spur one another on all the more as we see the day drawing near. If the Lord prompts you to give a word of encouragement and you withhold it, friends, Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Encourage one another is what we're commanded to do. And let's learn from the Apostle Paul. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul as to why we ought to be encouraging one another and why, listen, if you're afraid of puffing somebody up with your encouragement, you're probably doing it wrong. And your 
sensitivity and hesitancy to speak words of encouragement to those you love says more about you than it does them. Here's why. For, I say these things about you for, I point these things all out to you because here's why I want to encourage you. Here's why we need to encourage each other because it's evidence of God's work in our lives. For we know, brothers, he says, we know, brothers, loved by God. I want to encourage you and point out the fruits of the Spirit in your life because it's proof that you're loved by God. You don't always see it. I want to point it out to you. I'm telling you, I can see the love of God in your heart. I got to tell you about it. Not only this, but we know, brothers, you are loved by God, that God has chosen you. I know there's moments in your life where you doubt the work of God in your life, but I want to encourage you with this. I see faith in you. I see love in you. I see steadfastness in you. I see hope in you. This means you got to get close enough to people for them to see it. Apostle Paul says, I'm, I'm pointing these things out because I'm telling you that what I see in you tells me that God's love is in you. I'm pointing these things out because I'm telling you I can see that you are an elect member of God's family. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. And the way what I see coming out of your heart affirms that. Let me confirm it in you. Watch, look at verse 5 now. I, I share these things with you, verse 5. Why? Because I can see now that the gospel came to you not only in word but in power. I can see now that the power of God is at work in you. I can see now that the Holy Spirit is in you and that you are people of full conviction. You see, Paul's words of affirmation, these words of affirmation were confirmation of God's Trinitarian work in this church. He wants them to know that God, the Trinitarian God of heaven, is active, and he saved you, and he has secured you, and he is sanctifying you, and he is working on you, and he is building you up. How do I know? I can see the love. I can see your faithfulness. I can see the hope. I can see the water flying all out the place. Chosen. Some of us, some of you, have problems with the word chosen by God. You have problems with the word election. I just want to encourage you today. If we look at salvation from man's perspective, from an anthropomorphic perspective, from, from anthrocentric, pardon me, perspective, we start to debate and we start to haggle and we start to fight about it. But what I love about what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's making us look at salvation from God's perspective. And he's drawing this out. Your salvation was secure before the foundation of the earth. Your salvation before a sin ever even entered this world, God had already chosen to redeem you. You can't lose your salvation because he chose you. You're an elect child of God. You see, your salvation, it was initiated before the foundations of the earth, but it was secured when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. 
when he died on the cross for your sins, when he was buried, when he rose again three days later, your salvation, your sins were paid for, and your salvation was secured. But now this, it wasn't appropriated, it wasn't experienced, it wasn't realized until that moment the Holy Spirit came into your heart and said, you are a sinner, it is time to repent, and you must confess before the God, the holy God of heaven that you need his salvation. You see how it ends the debate? All of these things are true. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Jesus secured your salvation on the cross. And there was a moment when the Holy Spirit prompted your heart that you would confess your sins back to God. And the issue is all three points of this salvific process are debating one another, and it's the whole. It's all three. And he's saying, look, man, I, I can see now. I'm certain that God shows you before the foundations of the earth, and I can see that the Holy Spirit reached down. Imagine Paul, as I was preaching, even, how the, even as the mob was rising, the Holy Spirit convicted your heart, and you fell to your knees, and you accepted Jesus Christ's work on the cross for salvation. All of God is at work in saving your soul. All of God is active in your salvation. The Father chose you. The Son redeemed you. The Holy Spirit convicted you. The Father appointed your salvation. The Son affirmed your salvation. And the Holy Spirit appropriated your salvation. And this is why Paul says, I thank God for you. Because when I point out the good in you, it, I'm actually praising God. I'm, show, I'm, I'm affirming God's work in our church. For it is God who is at work in us, Philippians 2.13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let us not be stingy with our affirmations of the Lord. I thank God for you. Any good in me is the result of the Lord. Any good in you is the result of the Holy Spirit's work. So when we see good coming out of one another, we should praise God and encourage one another. And then here's the sweet thing. This type of ministry, this ministry of encouragement, which we all are called to, not only does it glorify God, not only does it breathe life into one another, but it also says something about you. Paul says this, second half of verse 5, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, for you became imitators of us. After all those good words, Paul's like, yeah, you're just like me. Here, chip off the old block. Like, thanks, Dad. Is Paul puffing himself up here? Is Paul bragging here? Is that what Paul's doing? Look how great you guys are. You're so good. You're so good. God is so at work in you. You're just like me. What he's saying is this. I can see a spiritual hunger in you. Point two. I can see the spiritual hunger in you. I felt the hunger myself. I've been there. I've felt it too. 
The same fire that I came with in sharing the gospel to you, I now see that same fire in you. You see what he says? You're imitating me and Jesus Christ. Paul was confident in his pursuit of Jesus, so much so those who followed after him could be confident that as they followed after him, they were following in the way of Jesus. That's a tall order right there. Paul says, I have a spiritual hunger. I see that same spiritual hunger in you. This is not a new theme for the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can you say that? Come on, dads. Son, the way I want you to act at school today is the way you saw me act with mommy last night. Respectful, serving, affirming, loving. You see? Friends, as a goal, Is there any confirmation of God's grace? Is there any confirmation of God's grace in our lives that that he would empower us to live a life worth imitating? What a great inventory. I just said that. What would happen to my son if he just said that with that tone? That's a daddy talking, right? What a great inventory for our lives. Could I say to someone, be, imitator, be an imitator. Just, just say it like I said it. Do it like I did it. And it's not about us. To be clear, Paul is not flattering himself here. When he says they're imitating me, listen, Paul's testimony is well known. They're not imitating him like he had like a Pauline logo and they were like sporting the gear, like their logo on the hat and like they were walking like Paul and now they were starting to talk like Paul and like the preaching cadence was kind of like Paul and all of a sudden there's this imitation of Paul and like there was kind of a cult of personality developing around Paul. That is not at all what he's talking about here. His reputation is well known. His experience is well known. And so he goes on to say, he clarifies what he means by imitating him. And it's not a cult of personality type imitation. Look at what the text says. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Why? For you received the word in much affliction and with much joy in the Holy Spirit. You see how they were like Paul? You imitated me in the sense that you took it in the teeth when you accepted Jesus too. You imitated me and that you still stood firm even though opposition came on you. We're not riding up in the same choice ride. We're not seeking after the financial blessing of the Lord. Do like I do and watch God roll it in. It's the exact opposite. I can see that I have a suffering friend. I see that I have somebody who's going to stand by when the world presses in. What I see in you, church, is someone who's going to stand firm in the face of affliction. I know we're like this when it comes to that. Paul's not bragging. Getting beat up is not worth bragging about. Trust me. My seventh grade self can tell you all about it. 
He's acknowledging and confirming the Thessalonian spiritual hunger for God was greater than their hunger for the world. Their spiritual hunger for God and his gospel was greater than their hunger for comfort. And he's like, here's how you imitated me. The same way God gifted me with joy, he gave you joy in your suffering as well. You received it with much joy, he says. It was joy that can only be found in the Holy Spirit. Remember when Paul sang in the prison cell? Remember that? Remember that story? You're imitators of me. Remember when Paul was stoned and left for dead, had to dust himself off, right? Then he went back into town and preached the gospel again. You remember that? Remember that? Remember, remember he almost lost his life, but he got back up, had the joy of the Lord, had the strength, had the fortitude to go back for more. That's how they're imitating Paul. You guys are standing in. I went to the next town. I went to Berea. You guys are there amongst this mob still. Man, I thank God for you. And I thank God for you that you could still allow the adorning light of the gospel to stay in that town. You know how strategic this town is? You know how strategic the placement of this church is in Thessalonica? Come on, Mission Church. Do you understand your place in the mission of God? I'm telling you, when you do, you live differently. When you do, your confidence is different. When you do, when you realize what God is doing, the miraculous work that God is doing, and the fact that you're even sitting in these seats today, all of a sudden, everything has a new perspective. Remember when Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake? That's how they imitated him. What a compliment. What a compliment for the church to be told that they demonstrated a hunger for the Lord that was like Paul and that was like Jesus himself. For if our Savior suffered, so too will we suffer. For no servant is greater than their master. Come on, church, buckle up. They imitated Paul. They imitated Jesus so much so, verse 7, that they became an example to all the other believers in Macedonia. Awesome. Come on, things rise and fall on leadership, and Paul certainly led strong here, but this is not the point. Now the point is this. You all, you church in Thessalonica, you, you are doing the work of ministry just by being yourselves. Do you realize sometimes serving Jesus and advancing the gospel is as simple as living life faithfully? Like you get up and you do it again. You get up and you do it again. You take the offense and you forgive again. And you keep rolling and you fall in love with the process and you fall in love with the habits of being with Jesus and doing life and loving on the kids and, and hugging your wife and your husband and you're, you're looking out for the community. It's, just, it's getting up and doing it again and you fall in love with that realizing that God is going to take care of the results. Did this church have any idea? Paul's there three weeks, three months. He leaves just like Paul had no clue how they were doing, they had no way of knowing what their reputation was doing across the globe. Can you imagine receiving this letter? Like the testimony that you posted on Facebook this morning. Like you don't know what that's going to do in somebody's life. That's the point. 
And so we encourage the sincerity we see in one another. We affirm the spiritual hunger that we see in one another. This is the picture of true discipleship. Jesus saved Paul. Paul reaches people. People reach others. Jesus saved Paul. Paul plants church. Church of Thessalonica are now influencing the globe. Don't underestimate your place. We are powerful together. This should be our goal. Have a spiritual hunger that is contagious. Have a spiritual hunger that is contagious. Eat of the spiritual meal and pass it on. Eat of the spiritual meal and pass You don't have to be all the way up the sanctified ladder. Just eat this meal and then deliver it to the next person you see. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. Someone messaged me this morning and said, hey, can I use a portion of your message last week to encourage someone in this circumstance? Oh, my word, go. We take in and we deliver. We eat and we pass on. We're discipled and then we disciple. We declare and we share the truth that God has saved us, which leads to the final point. What does Paul see in this church? Man, he sees a sincere heart. Man, he sees a hunger inside of them, a spiritual hunger that reminds him of what the Lord had done in him along the way. And now this. This church was declaring the Savior's hope. This church was declaring the Savior's hope. And here's the amazing thing. Their declaration was going farther than their words could reach. It was going further than the decibel would allow it to go. It was their example that was doing this. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth from everywhere so that we don't need to say anything about you where we go. You see, because the Thessalonians responded to God with a sincere heart, because they were, pursu- they were, pursu- they were pursuing the Lord with a spiritual hunger, they were able to endure all the crazy. Have any crazy in life right now? They were able to stand under the trial. They were able to come under the weight of the pressure. It's hard for us to see it when we're going through it. It's hard for us to see it when we're going through it. But what I want you to catch today is this, is that your trials are a platform. The pressures that you are enduring, church, elevates your testimony. Listen, listen. People, people be, can become very resentful in blessing. They can become very resentful towards you in success. They can be very resentful towards you when you think you're all that and the bag of chips. But I'm telling you, when you're at your lowest point, if you respond in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, it actually can be the highest point of influence in your spiritual lives. This church is under trial. This church is under persecution. This church has a mob breathing down its neck. And what what does Paul say? It's when you're in the fire. It's when you're being beaten down. It's when you can't, you don't think you have breath again and God gives it to you. That all of a sudden, your pressure and your pain becomes like a microphone, a megaphone of hope. And 
And people may not be able to hear your words from a distance, but what they'll hear you say is, my God is faithful. I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of today. That's your testimony. I have no idea how I'm going to break this addiction. I have no idea how I'm going to get rid of this stronghold. I have no idea. And you want to crawl in a hole and you want to hide. No idea how we're going to heal this relationship. I have no idea when the authorities are going to let up. I have no idea when. On and on and on. Church, it's in the difficulty that the Lord elevates you so your testimony of faithfulness can reach where it needs to go. And here's my challenge. Don't come off of the box of persecution. Don't come off of the platform of pain until you are certain that your testimony has gone as far as the Lord desires it to go. Don't. Don't shirk it. Don't deny it. Don't push it to the side. Say, Lord, I am staying right here until I am certain that I've seen your gospel at work in my trial. I know you have a plan. I know you have a plan. The Thessalonians, they had the blessing of hearing from the Apostle Paul. Listen, I'm telling you guys, I'm rolling up into towns. And you know what I'm hearing? What in the world's going on in Thessalonica, Paul? What is happening over there? Verse 9. For they themselves are coming to Paul reporting concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you, church, turned from God to idols to serve the living God. Translation, the church is like, the church where Paul is going like, yo, Paul. What's up with the capital city? That place is a train wreck. You're telling me the gospel took root in that cesspool? You're telling me, Paul, in Thessalonica, that the gospel's taken root in that town? That somewhere God found people to redeem there? What's going on over there? They're enduring persecution, Paul. I heard, I heard, I heard. Jason got thrown in the slammer. These guys are walking away from full-blown pagan idolatry? God is breaking strongholds over there? Come on, if God can do that in Thessalonica, maybe he can do it in this town. Come on, if God can hold that mess together, maybe he can put this mess back together. If God can do what he's done here over this course of time, what could God do if we stay faithfulness before him? Not falling in love with the goals or the vision or all that's out there, but just in the process and the relationship of falling in love with Jesus and encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Vision will take care of itself. Today, we come here and say this, oh, Lord God, would you please just confirm in each person's heart that is here that they can be sure that they're saved that their God loves them and is caring for them. God, today, would you just fill up 
each person's heart with a sincerity that can only come from you. Would you tear down some masks today, God? Would you bump some hearts so we can see what's actually going to splash out? Some of you got that lid on pretty tight. And you think you're bottling it up, except for that shows too. Lord, would you give us a hunger? Would you give us a hunger? Lord, this is our prayer, that you would give us a hunger. Would you allow us, Lord God, in the trial to allow our hope in you to go forth? Friends, don't let the devil steal the blessing from your trial. The trial's hard enough. The pain is hard enough. The road can be long enough. Don't abandon ship. Don't abort the process. Don't let the devil steal the pain that's coming in your trial. Why can the Lord say, we consider it all joy when we face hardships of many kind? Because that's our platform. And his hope is our megaphone. And so, verse 10. And so Paul says this, in light of all of your endurance, in light of all that you've gone through, in light of your sincerity of heart, in light of your spiritual hunger, I want you to know, church, that God is using you to blaze the trail for the gospel. Because of all of this, church, I want you to know I'm certain that you have gospel hope. Verse 10. Church, what they know about you is this. You're waiting for his son. The way you're enduring this means you must have your eyes up and over the trial and you're looking for Jesus who's going to come from heaven, verse 10. You're certain. You see the salvation? You're certain that God raised his son from the dead. You know it. You know it. You were chosen in ages past. You know the son is coming again. That's in the future. But you know and he was raised from the dead, securing your salvation. Who is it? Jesus. The one who delivers us from the wrath who is to come. How do we have gospel hope? The hope you have today. The sincerity of heart you have today. The spiritual hunger that you have today. The declaration of hope that you have today is this. You can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure any affliction for the sake of the gospel because one day he will take all affliction away. I'll preach his name today because one day I'll bow before the name. I'll sing of his name today because one day I will sing before him and all when that'll be the day when all things are made right. Is this your hope? Is this your hope? Say amen.